I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast. As usual, I'm joined by my homies, my compadres, my co-hosts. I'm really emphasizing this plural this time in crime. Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis, what's popping, y'all? Yo, what's good, guys? It is great. Adam, thank you for making us feel like there's a really welcomingness and a very, a very strong maturity to this podcast. Today. There's a really welcomingness? It. Come on, man. You're ruining the Blake Griffin joke. <laughs> oh, I, I I missed that. I missed it. Did Blake say that? <laughs> Blake, Blake uh, that was one of his opening comments. He said, there's a, something about, I'm paraphrasing, there's a really strong maturity and a welcomingness. I know that's not a real word. Like he paused and said <laughs> that in, in mid-sentence. So that was the joke I was going for, which, uh, which clearly Greg and I had rehearsed before this. <laughs> so before we go any further, I told everybody at the end of the last part I was going to be doing the, uh, the call to action earlier in the show. So this is that. If you're listening and you're new here, thank you for joining in. Thank you for clicking that link. Hit that follow button. Go onto your Apple, your Spotify. It used to be called subscribe. Now it's called follow. Hit that follow. If you're watching on YouTube, hello. You can see our faces. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you're here. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Help the pod grow. We've already surpassed last year's download numbers. We're trying to make this even bigger, even better. And obviously, we would like it to be a huge success and everybody listening you're part of that so thank you very much for being here on that journey with that being said the welcomingness and the maturity in the locker room was not prevalent before we hit the record button now i'm not going to divulge what we were talking about but (laughs) what i will say is we were about 10 minutes late on recording because i was laughing so hard so uh that was a little bad I was waiting for someone else to join in. No one else wanted to join in. I'll carry on. So Will's just sent us a tweet in our chat. I was trying to uh, show Greg the, the the actual quote of where of where the intro came from to catch him up to speed. Oh, you see. So I thought the quietness was because news had broken. It was bad news and everybody was <laughs> back. So I'm actually quite happy now. We're, we're all on edge these days. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm telling you, man. So look, Blake Griffin, the signing is officially official. It wasn't officially official when they played the Hornets, which is why there was no Blake Griffin Griffin, I keep saying Griffin for some reason. There was no Blake Griffin on the bench. He wasn't in uniform. He wasn't. He was just around the arena somewhere watching the game. That's going to change on Wednesday. So today, when everybody's listening, because he's officially official, so he's going to be in a uniform. It's going to look weird. I don't know how I'm going to adjust to seeing Blake Griffin in a Celtics jersey. But it's going to happen, and I want to get right behind it. But I'm not sure what that means for. Fee Cabangele, because he's been putting in some work. I don't know if y'all have seen, but um, John Carradas tweeted it out yesterday. After practice on Monday, Cabangele stayed behind, or Cabangele stayed behind, and worked on his pick-and-roll game with Jalen Brown. Some of the executives there were calling it pick-and-roll school. He was working on his angles, when to come off the screen, when, when to short roll, when to roll deep, how to kind of drag defenses with him. So he's definitely putting in the work. He wants a roster spot or he at least wants some valuable minutes. Is Blake going to become another roadblock? Um, you know, we touched on this a little bit on the last pod. And to me, I don't I don't think so. You know, I think Blake Griffin 
by himself is in that role of the Al Horford, right? He's in the role at the top of the offense um, in the delay action, whereas Cabangeli is kind of a facsimile of what Robert Williams has to offer. So I think with Cabangeli, Adam, also shout out to you for pronouncing the, the G with the hard G. Cabangeli to me is one of those guys that he's going to come in and offer just a different skill set than any of the other bigs that are currently on the roster with Robert Williams being injured right now. You know, you have Al Horford as the Wiley vet, Blake Griffin, very similar. You have Luke Cornett, who's just a big bird, you know, seven foot two, can stretch the floor a little bit, handles like Allen Iverson. And then, <laughs> and then we got Kevin Gelly, who is, you know, he, he if you look at him versus Vonley, Vonley's more in the mold of a Blake Griffin. Right. Vonley is not really going to do anything vertically. He might be able to shoot the J a little bit, sets good screens, rolls hard to the basket. But Kevin Gelly is going to be stretching the floor vertically. He's going to play with a lot more energy. If you're looking for something a little bit more steady, you're going to go Vonley. You're going to go Blake Griffin. But if you want a shot of energy, you know, that's where you go to Kevin Gelly. And I think that's why ultimately I'm picking him to make the roster is because he will be that shot of B12. He's going to be coming off the bench and spot minutes. And just, you know, he might be able to change a game similar to, you know, we're going to talk about the Raptors here in a little bit, similar to a Boucher, similar to what Boucher offers for them. And I think Kevin Gelly ultimately will make this roster. Yeah, I think you articulated that pretty well, Greg. I think for me, I don't think there is going to be a, a roadblock in the sense that it's kind of all hands on deck when it comes to to depth in the front court. It's something we've been talking about all offseason. And that only, you know, increased with with Robert Williams now being out eight to 12 weeks, and I'm sure they're going to take their time with that. So expect him to probably miss somewhere up to 30 games, maybe even close to, you know, half the season. So with that, they're going to need versatility. They're going to need depth. And so I think both Kevin I think Blake Griffin, I think Luke Cornett, uh, you know, maybe even Noah Bonley at the, at the end of that roster, they're all going to have opportunities and it will kind of depend on, you know, matchup dependent, like we've talked about, depends what is needed in the moment. So, as far as it being a roadblock, back to your to your qu original question, Adam, I just don't think a roadblock exists because this team is going to need you know multiple options in that front court. So I think they're all going to have an opportunity at different points, and I think health and obviously trying to preserve Al Horford, who looked pretty damn good, looked pretty damn good in that Hornets game, just the first preseason game, but looked like age thirty six isn't going to slow him down. But you do want to you know preserve him, and he talked about you know he's down to play back to backs. Love that he's down to play back-to-backs. I hope that Joe Mazzul and the and the coaching staff are willing to sit him out a few back-to-backs because the long-term health and you know keeping him energized throughout the season are going to be far more important than you know getting a couple extra wins here and there throughout the season on those back-to-backs. You're going to need that depth. So I don't think a roadblock necessarily exists because all of these all of these guys in the front court are going to be needed at some point. So I think for me, it's more like. The the only way it could be a roadblock, and I, I do think there is a potential that we don't see Kevin Jelly during the regular season because of this, is whether or not Missoula wants to run a double big lineup. If you're only running one big and then you're having an additional ball handler at the four, then I don't see how there's room for Kevin Gelly because you've got Al Horford, you've got Rob Williams when healthy, Luke Cornett when healthy, Blake Griffin when healthy. They're four guys that aren't really ball handlers, with the exception of Hawford, that are going to be at the five, right? And then Cabangele is your two-way guy. You're not really as committed to playing him as much if you don't have to. He's there in case of emergency. There is going to be a time to put him in. Obviously, there's going to be garbage time. There's going to be times where you do need that energy or that wrecking ball. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, Cabangele is at this point, 
is a much taller, much stronger version of Aaron Neesmith. He's just crash, right? We're just going to throw him at people and like bowl him over. Um, so I think I wouldn't say it's a roadblock, but I definitely think a lot of his opportunities are going to depend on whether they run one big or two big. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I think, you know, from that first preseason game, which is all we have to work off right now, and then you mentioned the the clip of him working, you know, after practice. I, I think him and J.D. Davison down in Maine, that's going to be a ton of fun. I think the two of them are going to have some some really fun moments in Maine. Now, are they going to get to do that as much on the big stage? We'll see. Davison, I think there's not just not going to be enough enough opportunity. Uh, Kevin Galley, like we're talking about, he may have some moments. But, you know, I do think that's another great development project. And we're seeing, you know, with the Celtics most recent development project and Sam Hauser, you know, if that's kind of the trajectory of how can we get Kevin Gelly a couple of minutes here and there, and then maybe looking towards next season, that's when he's a more, you know, viable piece of the, of the rotation. And don't forget we've seen Brad Stevens convert two way guys midway through the season before, you know, if there's a trade later down, down the line, maybe they feel like there's some good value on offer for Derek white. Maybe they feel there's a trade that makes sense for them towards February. And they have to send out a couple of guys and a roster spot opens up. Then we could see Kevin Gale get converted that way, similar to what happened to Luke Cornett this past season when he was a two-way dude, same as Sam Hauser. There was a couple of trades, left the roster spots open, and then you convert the two-way guys to fill those open roster spots and you move forward without anyone on the two-way deal for the remainder of the season. So there's always an opportunity, and he's definitely putting in the work. I think that at the moment it's just... And this is why I've been so dead set. I'm like, I know a lot of people want to add Van too, but I'm like, there's already so many bigs on the roster. You really don't need another one, especially if you want to keep that 15th spot open, which is why I don't think Van Lee makes this roster at this point. Yeah, I think that was the, you know, the the prevailing point as I was watching the first game is when I saw what Kevin Gelly was doing on the court, I immediately thought of Van Lee. And I was just like, man, this dude's really going to have to bring the energy and he's really going to have to show that he can match that intensity. Because once you bring in Blake Griffin, like what Vonley has to offer being, you know, an NBA vet, uh, a little bit more experienced than Kevin Gale, it kind of goes out the window because it's like, all right, well, we got Blake Griffin now to do the things that we were thinking Vonley might want to do. And now he looks at Kevin Gale and he's like, all right, that's my competition. I need to try and match a little bit more of what he's bringing to the table and what he's bringing to the table is just that hunger. You would think Vonley would be like extra hungry to make the NBA because he just spent a year not in the NBA. But that's kind of always been the thing with Vonley. He's not like necessarily the highest motor guy. He just plays at his pace and he plays steadily. You know, I, I have a, a couple friends that went to IU and Vonley is an IU product and they liked Vonley a lot in college. But I was chatting with them and they're just like, yeah, there was always just like something left to be desired with him right he had the body type he had the skill set but you know come, come nut crunch time he wasn't really the dude that they needed him to be um and i i think that's what it's going to come down to man honestly is the celtics are going to look at vonley versus kevin Gelly, and they're going to see vonley's more of a finished product kevin Gelly seemingly has a little bit more room to develop um and he's got more energy and i think that's what they're going to go with and I think that can lead us on nicely because we've, we're going to see more Van Lee, we're going to see more Kevin Gale, and we're going to see them all today when people listen, not today when we're recording, but today when people listen. People, if you record a podcast on multiple time zones to release on multiple time zones, it gets difficult knowing when today is and when tomorrow is. 
So on Wednesday, we are going to see these guys take the floor again, most likely. And it's going to be against the Toronto Raptors, who, in my opinion, haven't really improved that much externally by bringing in external players. But they do have some internal development to lean back on in terms of, well, has Boucher improved? Has, well, Scotty Barnes is going to improve. They've got people they can like lean on. And obviously, they re-signed Thaddeus Young. They bought in Otto Porter Jr., they brought in Josh Jackson. They've got a few new pieces. They brought in Bo Cruz. Like, for anyone <laughs> and then, that and then that, that movie. the one name, you know, that everybody's been talking about in, up in Raptors land is Precious. They love yeah. Precious right now. I mean, he's just a solid rebounding big, right? Like, he can run the floor, but he's really good defensively. Uh, there was a point in time where I was actually quite high on Boston drafting him, but you yeah, know, same. and then I think that you know he's a he's a really good core piece to play alongside somebody like Scotty, having those guys on the floor, high motor individuals. It's going to be interesting, and this is going to be a much sterner test than what Charlotte was because <laughs> yeah, Boston might be banged up. <laughs> Boston might be banged up, but Charlotte were banged up too, and they're not at that level. Like, I mean, I think they've got better individual talent. Like. No, I think Scotty Barnes is probably... Would you say, who's better, Scotty Barnes or the Mellow Ball? Let's start there. Ooh, Ooh, good question. A, that is a great question. So, According to our rankings, well... well, well and we'll uh, go yeah. with they, they were pretty close, say I'll say this. They, they, they were pretty close. Greg and I did a, a ranking of our top 50 players in the NBA over on our Green with Envy feed, and I can't remember them exactly. I can pull it up here in just a minute, but I know they were close and in the same area. And it, I think at this point, if you were looking at LaMelo and Scotty Barnes, it, it probably just like what does your team need? Like, what's your what's your preference at, at a certain point? Ultimately, I'm betting on Scotty Barnes being the better of the two players. Like, that's an easy, you know, Scotty Barnes answer. But right now in the present day, it's it's probably pretty close. It just depends, you know, what you're looking for and what you need. So I'm I've got it all day, day. Scotty. You know, go all ahead. day. You've got Scotty all day. All day. So you see, like, for me, it's Scotty as well, because Scotty can defend a little bit. Like, LaMelo's getting hit on. LaMelo's big, right? What is he, six seven? Something like, like that. He's a big he's dude. A cool yeah. Is he really though? He's got he's got the lot the tall hair. I, whenever <laughs> I see him, I'm like, you're six four and a half. <laughs> but like, okay, regard like say six five to six seven. If we take keep the hair, we'll take the hair off, right? He's a big <laughs> guard, and he's not switchable. He's not very good at navigating screens. He gets hit on really weak defenders. Teams hunt him out. He's but on the other hand, he's unquestionably one of the best passing guards in the league has ridiculously good range, can penetrate with great ease, but he's he's one-sided, right? He's like a Trey Young light or a Trey Young-esque type of like offensive weapon, Mm -hmm. whereas Scotty Barnes is more, hey, he can give you three-level scoring on offense, he can rebound, he can defend. He's a Swiss Army knife. He gives you a little bit of everything that that you can want out there. Modern-day big, modern-day forward. He's going to give you everything you need. So I think that Scotty Barnes is better, right? And LaMelo, without Gordon Hayward on the floor, is unquestionably Charlotte's best player. Scotty yeah. Barnes might not be Toronto's best player right now with Siakam there, with Fred Van Vliet. And that just goes to show you how much more of a stern test Toronto are going to be compared to what Boston faced against Charlotte, right? So that's going to be interesting to see how they deal with, I mean, the length, the athleticism, the grit that Steve Nash has instilled into that team. It's. I'm really intrigued to see if Boston want continue to play that pace, the pace that we saw against Charlotte, and mm-hmm. can still mop up some of those turnover issues. 
Yeah, and uh, just to finish the Lamella versus Scotty conversation, which I think is a fun conversation because it tells me, you know, if, depending on who you prefer, it's the way that you see the game and what you think actually like impacts winning. And Scotty, like he's my like in a lab player of my dreams. Like I love Scotty Barnes so much because he does a lot of the things that I personally on a basketball court could never do. Right. I was like a skill based player who could shoot and I was not a physical player by any means. I was not the most athletic dude. I was not the most explosive dude. I I impacted the game in my own way. And I watched Scotty Barnes play. I'm like, there is no way in my entire life I could do one hundredth of what Scotty Barnes does on a court. He's just such a freaking beast. You talked about Kevin Gale being like a supersized knee smith. Like, uh, you know, that's kind of what Scotty Barnes is. That's kind of what Precious Achua is as well. These, these dudes that are just six, seven, six, eight, but they look like they're six, ten on the court. Scotty Barnes yeah. just looks ginormous, you know, and with LaMelo, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, he's he's a nice player. He can do some flashy things. He's like AU Instagram highlights like, you know, LaMelo going to get all that stuff. Not to say he's a bad player, but I don't think. You're ne- I don't think you're going to win a championship with Lamelo Ball as your best player. You know, he maybe maybe it's too early in his career, but I could see Scotty Barnes just in a playoff series just taking over with sheer physical force. You know, and I don't think Lamelo can necessarily do that. Similar to how you feel about Trey Young. You know, um, so that's that's just my thoughts on Scotty versus Lamelo. Now, other guys on that roster though, you mentioned who might be the best player on the team. If you ask anybody in Toronto, they're going to say Pascal Siakam. And I think that's a good point to bring up now. Celtics, Raptors, I think inevitably it's always going to come down to who's better, Jalen Brown or Pascal Siakam. Well, judging by Jalen Brown's size, because he has definitely put on some muscle on his upper body, especially around his shoulders and chest pectoral regions. It just looks thicker, like it just looks bulkier. And uh, like noticeably, right? Like in the Celtics blog chat, when the first game went on, the first thing I wrote in there was like, Yo, Jalen Brown looks big, big, like big, big. Like he, he like remember when Tatum came in last year and we we're like Tatum was put on some serious muscle time, right? Some muscle he had all those workout photos from him in the offseason yeah. and then came in. You could just see the frame was larger. And I and feel Tatum, like that with Jalen. Yeah, and Tatum looks a little bit leaner this year. And I think I think last year, and I think last year was the first year Jalen went vegan, right? Or he went plant based. Yeah, this so is when the he second came, year, he talked about that in, in media day for a little bit. Said so he added in a little fish to get some some protein or a little yeah. seafood. And I, I think that's what stood out to me last year is I was like, man, Jalen looks skinny. He looks thin. And now this year, I agree with you, Adam. He definitely looks a lot more swole. And I think that's going to have a big impact, especially if he's going to be pr- pressuring the rim more. Because we saw him, like, he got himself going by attacking the rim and then went into his back with the mid-range and the catch-and-shoot freeze. And Jalen Brown was just, he he just carried over his NBA finals form into game one of the preseason. It was like, like there hadn't been a break, right? And I'm not saying that he's going to bully Siakam because Siakam in his own right is exceptionally gifted and is long and athletic. But... I think Brown's ready to take that next step forward in his development, or he has taken it. Like the fight, like you could look at the NBA finals as like that hyperbolic time chamber, right? And he went in Jalen Brown 2.0 and came out super saiyan Jalen Brown type of thing, <laughs> because he just seems like he's took his game to a new level. And I, I'm very intrigued to see how he deals with being guarded by Siakam or being switched, being switched onto Siakam on defense to see how he deals with that additional size and the skill and length. Because one of Jalen's biggest issues has been, he's always been 
great as an on-ball defender, not great as an off-ball defender. And then what you want to do now is you want to see, can you switch him onto somebody of Siakam's size and have him go from off-ball to on-ball against a high-level talent and actually hold his own? Yeah, and it's it's. I think this is kind of... So I think with Siakam and, and JB just straight up, like, you know, when I look at them as who's the better player... I think they're pretty close when you look at whatever if you however you want to rank players across the NBA. They're both kind of right there. But the differentiator between the Raptors and the Celtics is that Siakam for right now, I think, is the Raptors best player. JB is clearly the Celtics second best player. And then you look at that and you have they have no one that is in that Jason Tatum category. And that gets us back to Scotty Barnes, where he's only in year two. So it's unfair to put him in. Hey, but, but I think that's kind of the projection of what they are hoping scotty barnes can be long term i don't know what year that comes in if it's this year they could be something different than what i think they're going to be but that's kind of i think what they're hoping for long term is scotty barnes can actually be somebody that's a true one and then you could slot the other guys that they have that are really good but just not true ones into their rightful place with siakam van vliet precious and all the other guys they have on their roster i'm gonna say it now because i always say it at the beginning of the year how how many games into the season before I finally admit that Jason Tatum is better than Jalen Brown? Because like every year I'm like, oh, maybe this is a year where Jalen just surprises me again and goes to that next level. And then it's like game, I don't know, 15 or 20. I'm like, no, Tatum's better. Tatum's yeah, I mean, I mean it's the way better. it goes every year and almost every game. Jalen typically starts better. Jason Tatum is the one who typically yeah. finishes better. That's that's yeah. just the way it's been over the last let's say three years maybe two years but for sure but over the last two to three years it's just that it's just that rinse and repeat each year with the two of them i just sure. think jay i just think jason's got more to his game than Jalen. like it's not that tatum's better it's that his game is high level and versatile whereas Jalen brown's is he's still versatile as a scorer but you're not gonna rely on him passing out of doubles passing out of traps you're not gonna I mean, rely on him I, I think it's fair to say Tatum's better. I don't think that's like anything to be crazy to say. I know you are, but I'm I'm, I'm well, trying I'm well, trying to okay. be a little bit more assertive because it's okay. I think <laughs> at this point, it's, it's just a fact. My my higher level point though is just when you go up against a team like the Raptors, right, and with, that have crazy athletes like they do. You know, like I mean, we saw how Tatum. I know he was injured, but we saw how he struggled against Wiggins in the finals. He struggled against physicality throughout the playoffs, and in general against the Raptors he's kind of struggled to score the ball. And I'm just looking at like the last, I don't know, 10 games he's played against, uh, against the Raptors. Here are his low scoring games, 11, 11, 12, eight, right? He's had a few games where he hasn't really scored the ball, well, but he has had a game of 10 assists, a game of seven assists, a game of nine assists. And that's where I think, you know, the point of J, JB versus JT, who's a better player, who's more well-rounded, who's more versatile. That's kind of where it shows itself, right, is that Tatum does have a little bit more um, of a completely polished offensive game. But, like, in terms of scoring, JB just keeps doing things where I watch him score the ball and, like, create his own shot. And I'm like, okay, that's one skill set where I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we all were like, you know what? JB might actually just be the better scorer between the two. Tatum's a better player, but JB, I don't think there's, it's not out of the realm of possibility for JB to, at the end of the day, be considered the better scorer between the two. No, I agree. Actually, I do, I do agree. I think there's, but then that dictates the question of like, when you're like, okay, and we're kind of going far off track here, but who cares? <laughs> we're on that. Um, but then it begs the question of, 
you're down to final shot of the game. We're two years down the line or 18 months down the line. Jalen Brown has proven himself as the best scorer on the team. Jason Tatum is the best player. Who do you want taking that final shot? Your best scorer or your best player? It's a great question. It's a great, I mean, that's the whole uh, MJ versus LeBron thing. You know, MJ is probably going to take that last, or maybe maybe more Kobe versus LeBron. You know, Kobe's mm-hmm. definitely going to take that last shot and LeBron's probably going to make the right play. And yeah. you would hope for Tatum to be the best version of himself that he becomes the guy who makes the right play because we need him to kind of be that like Luka Doncic type talent on the offensive end whereas jb i'd be okay you know adam i know you've said this for the last 18 months regarding jb he's the play finisher you know he doesn't need to be a playmaker he needs to be a play finisher so it, it kind of just like what you know beauty's in the eye of the beholder you know what do you want at the end of that game yeah i also I you're right to... oh sorry go ahead. no 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 i was just i flipped up that dude was for able to for a second carry on <laughs> damn you forgot about me like that man uh no but uh, but i think you're right greg i think i think ultimately you want it to be to be tatum and you want to trust that he'll make that right decision whatever it may be but i think part of it and that's kind of the beauty of having a, a, a definitive number one and a guy that can almost masquerade as a number one at times that you don't always have to make that decision. Sometimes the the game itself kind of dictates because we've seen both of these guys just go in fuego. And so you think back to the opening season or opening game last year when what did Jalen have 46 points uh, against the Knicks? If you have something like that going on, I'm going to give the ball to JB. Yeah, I know JT might be my first team all NBA guy, but I got no problem with JB, you know, getting that shot. And I think a lot of times when you see in the modern NBA, you know, like LeBron and Kyrie when LeBron and Kyrie are together, like you said, Greg, LeBron's going to make the right play, but he also isn't going to be upset if Kyrie's taking that last shot because, you know, maybe Kyrie Kyrie's going to has just as good of a chance as making that shot sometimes as, as LeBron does, but other times LeBron's going to be the one to, to kind of take that shot. So I think when you have two talents like JT and JB, that's kind of the, the benefit of it is that it's not automatically each time it's going to JT each time it's going to JB and it puts that pressure on the defense of, I don't know which of these guys is going to get the shot. And, you know, if JT probably more than JB becomes a little bit more of that playmaker, you add in, maybe he ends up kicking it out to Malcolm Brogdon if we go for that double, or maybe there's someone else that, that can knock down that shot. So, you know, it, it it's a tough question to answer because I think it's very circumstantial when you have those two guys that could both theoretically get it done in that moment. I do want to say that one other thing we need to kind of compartmentalize, and this is going to make both of you smile very big smiles is there's also a third player that's capable of being a number one option on the team. And this is from Jalen Brown's mouth. Malcolm Brogdon is good enough to be the first offensive option on an NBA team. So all of a sudden, as you say, the game dictates, right? One minute it could be Jalen Brown, the next it could be Jason Tatum. Who's hotter? Who's getting denied the ball on an entry pass? There's so many variations. You've got Malcolm Brogdon. Now things start looking more like Hey, you can deny Tatum the ball and Brown's having a steamer so you can get the ball to, to Brown, but Brown, you shut him down quickly. There's that third option now, right? And I, I'm not, I, I do genuinely believe it, in talent level, it's that way as well, right? Would you have it like Tatum's the best overall player, Brown's the best play finisher, and then Brogdon is kind of like an amalgamation of the two. And I've been using that word a lot the last few days, amalgamation. I it's like a good word. It. I love it. 
I love it. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of my whole thing with Brogdon, right? Right when we got him, I was like, I I don't think Celtics fans realize how good he is. Like he, whenever I've watched him play, Celtics fans want to draw that natural comparison between him and Smart, which I don't think is necessarily fair because Smart is a little bit more, you know, one dimensional than than Brogdon is. Brogdon's a solid defender. You know, he's not as good of a defender as Smart is because Smart, that's where Smart has made his entire career is on the defensive end. And then with Brogdon, it's like, man, he does so many things well on the offensive end. You know, he's uh, near the top of the league and getting into the paint and paint touches and drives to the hoop. Um, he's always been able to shoot gaps. He's always been a really, you know, solid shooter. He had a 50-40-90 year. And when we got him, I said, you know what, Malcolm Brogdon's definitely the Celtics' third best player, and there are going to be plenty of games where he's the second best player and maybe the first best player on the team. And, you know, to your point that you're just making about end of the game, yeah, Tatum's shut off, Brown shut off, they kick it to Brogdon. Think about in, in the past, it's been they kick it to Smart and everybody holds their breath. Now they kick it to Brogdon and you feel confident, you know, and that's no shot against Smart. That's just the reality of it. It's like, Marcus, he, he he's capable of making big plays, but it, he's still the no, no, yes guy. And Brogdon is a yes, get the ball to Brogdon guy, you know, and that's kind of the difference between the two. I'm just excited to have him. The question, obviously, can you stay on the court? Yeah. Kevin O'Connor today on the ringer wrote an article about, you know, his six, seven biggest X factors coming into the season. Malcolm Brogdon being healthy was, was one of them. And that's something that I, I think is very clear with this team. When you look at what they were missing last year and everything Brogdon brings to the table, he helps answer just about every single one of them from depth can play within the defensive scheme can go ahead and get his own shot and can be a playmaker, a playmaker that we haven't seen in a long time. Like we talked about in the last episode where we try to think of who else have we seen sling these type of passes just in obviously one preseason game, but we've seen what Malcolm Brogdon's done in his career. Who's, who's made these type of high level IQ plays that's not just getting his own, but setting up others. And the first thing we can think of was Ray John Rondo back from, what was his last year on the team? Maybe like 2012, 13, somewhere. Yeah, just just so like people don't think we're comparing their passing skills. It's just like we haven't seen anybody who's made those passes, right? Brogdon is right. not as good of a passer as Rondo, but he does have the same instincts. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, from that, we've had, you know, Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, and then last year with, with Mark. We just haven't had a guy that that's reached that level. And so I think there's just so much that Malcolm Brogdon opens up for this team that, you know, seeing him out there after kind of, you know, wondering what this was going to look like all off season, despite all the other, you know, crap going on around with the Celtics. I was trying to think of a appropriate word there. You know, it still makes me think, man, like I, I still, and this team is right there, you know, despite all the distractions as a team that has really, really high championship potential and adding Malcolm Brogdon is going to be such an added bonus for this team. And now, we're going to pivot back to finishing the Toronto Boston preview. <laughs> well, actually, I have, I have a question for you guys about, about Toronto. This is kind of just looking at them holistically within the Eastern Conference. I, I was thinking about this earlier. The Eastern Conference is so deep. I think there's nine legit teams in the Eastern Conference. I think that 10 spot's kind of up for grabs for the final play. But I think there's nine legit teams, you know, given health. Where do you guys think the Raptors do – you, do you guys think the Raptors – would you put them as – more likely or less likely to stay out of the play in this year? I say more. I uh, know. Yeah. More likely to stay out. I think they're going to be in the playoffs. Dude, I picked them to make the Eastern conference final. I know you got, you got <laughs> real high. You got real high on, on them. 
But it's, I mean, it's real. I mean, they were a fifth seed last year. And you can argue they kind of overachieved a little bit to get that fifth seed. But then to Adam's point, to start the pod, I mean, internally, yes, they have some development. They basically only added Otto Porter Jr. And then you look at teams behind them. Brooklyn has a full season of KD, Ben Simmons, Kyrie, and everyone else that was that was injured. Atlanta added DeJounte Murray. Cleveland finished behind them because they fell out after the play, and they added Donovan Mitchell to their team. So, you know, I mean, the Bulls are likely going to fall back. They're kind of my team that's probably in ninth, but that's, you know, at least eight teams for those six spots. And I don't know. I, I think for me, I think the Raptors end up falling into the play-in, but I think it's between, you know, really them, Brooklyn, and Atlanta are the teams I look at that are going to be somewhere in that six, seven, eight spot. Atlanta, Atlanta is going to be in the play-in. Yeah, without a question. Gonna be I feel more like I, I feel pretty strong about that too, but I but I still think then it comes down to Brooklyn and Toronto, maybe. Because I think, you know, I think Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly are the four teams I feel confident in that are not going to be in the play-in. I think everyone else, it's yeah. it's on the table. I mean, when when it's the seventh seed is in the play, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, my look on it is this: Otto Porter Jr. is going to give them some a boost off the bench, right? He's going to improve that bench a bit. A, another, well, his first off-season jump, he's going to see Scott and Barnes improve. He knows what to expect coming into the league now. He's going to be a little bit more polished. It's still far too early for us to be talking about him becoming an all-star, but he's going to be better. Josh Jackson's going to give you some explosiveness and not much else. Uh, then you look at who else have they got. Fred Van Vliet, in my opinion, wasn't 100% himself last season. I think he could have a bounce back here. Towards the end of the season. I mean, he made the all-star team. I mean, during the regular season, but towards the end of the season, yeah. You know, then you've got Boucher, who could be impactful. He's kind of been in and out of being a good player for a while. Fad Young's there. He's going to give you some rebounding. They're good, but there's just, like you said, there's so many deep, and talented teams now and there's been be- good western conference players come over to the eastern conference donovan mitchell kind of headlining that you've also got new york that could be fighting to avoid the playing by making the playoffs and that all comes down to can julius randall figure things out he had a great season two years ago led the team into the playoffs played terribly last year things fell apart you know can they fix that can they write that ship if they can are toronto better than the knicks on paper that's a yeah. question. Do you think so? On paper, so. on paper, oh, I think okay. so. So uh, let's just look at let's just look at the um, Raptors lineup from the other day, right? So first preseason game against the Jazz, they went starting lineup: Siakam, Ananobi, Barnes, Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr. I think that that lineup is undersized, yes, but they do have a lot of athleticism. They have a lot That's of shooting true. in that lineup. They've got great lockdown defenders. Everybody except Trent, I would say, is a plus defender. I think Trent's just an average defender. Um, Siakam, it was amazing, you know, in in off ball situations last year as a defender. And Anobi is lockdown. Uh, Barnes, you know, he he's an energizer bunny. He put on a lot of a lot of muscle. Um, he can definitely bang with the big boys. And then on the bench, right, they're they're really counting on Precious. They need yeah. Precious to to make a leap. If he doesn't make a leap, then maybe the way that I feel about them, can, uh, I push him into the play-in versus um, in the playoffs. Um, so I think that's kind of where it's going to be because Banton, you know, he's another super long, annoying defender, but he's not really offering much else. Um, Kem Birch, solid defender if they're banging with Embiid or somebody like that. Malachi Flynn, I don't know about, I don't know how you guys feel about him, but I don't think he's got much to offer. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Thad Young's. At the, I think, I think the their, their bench is sure. kind of what, what this is getting to, right? 
Yeah. That there, there's not, you look at Precious, you feel pretty good about him being something, whether or not he's going to be, you know, a leap, he's going to be something for them. You feel pretty good about, good about Otto Porter. I think Boucher's a little hit or miss for me. There's times where I've watched it. I'm like, oh, this guy is really going to be, you know, disruptive. Other times I feel like he just is, is almost invisible. And then the rest of it's, you know, it's, it, you went through it. Greg. I'm not going to go through all the names again, but it's, it's, you're not really sure of what you're getting. That's probably the biggest question mark for them. And that's, you know, they were a little bit like the Celtics last year is that when they went from on their run to get into the five seed last year, they were, they were doing the same thing. The Celtics were, they were going about eight, no more than about eight deep or so to make that run. And that's really hard. That's really hard to be sustainable all the way throughout. And with only really adding auto Porter, that still leaves some question marks. And so for me, if they're going to stay out of the play in, you said it a second ago, Adam, that maybe this isn't the year. Scotty bonds, Scotty Barnes is an all-star. I think he's if if they're out of the play-in, he's an all-star already. Scotty Bonds, yeah, yeah. Scotty Bonds. <laughs> you ever seen Scotty Bonds play basketball, <laughs> dude? He's freaking awesome. Scotty Bonds got hops, kid. So you you slipped into it then, and you had to correct yourself, right? It honestly, it felt British in my mind when I said it. So I, was, <laughs> I thought I said Scotty Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> well that's where the accent stems from man oh, <laughs> no you definitely went you definitely went like southy i I, I, heard, I heard it sound different and i was like let me go back and say that again <laughs> adam adam i feel like will and i have been taking up a lot of the air give me your your thoughts on the raptors though yeah i mean i've said what i need to say about them i think they're i think they've got talent they've got length they've got athleticism i don't like you've mentioned they're not that deep they seem to me like they could be in a position to struggle in a similar way to what the Bulls did last season, where the Bulls had this great like top six, top seven rotation, but one guy got injured and their entire season was derailed. You know, as soon as Lonzo Ball went down, I know I know Alex Caruso was out for a while as well, and they had some issues there. But once Lonzo went down, one of their top names, and they had to go to Kobe White more and so forth, their season just came off. The, the wheels fell off, and I think that. You know, you never you never want to envision an injury to a guy, but when you've got a team that's only seven or eight deep, like when Boston went eight deep, they still had somebody that could step in. Do you know what I mean? Like at least a little bit. Like I, I'm I wouldn't feel comfortable if I don't know if Fred Van Vliet goes down, who's your who who steps in as the starting guard and then who no. plays that who comes off the bench as that next guard, right? And you don't ever wish these things, but you have to be prepared for them at the same time. And I think that's going to be, as it is for every team, you know, that's why Boston are in a good position with the amount of depth they've got across all positions right now. But they're just too thin for me to be like, hey, yeah, they're definitely a playing team, not a playoff team. They're, like they're, They've got more chance of making the playing than they've got of making the playoffs because there are going to be injuries through the year. There's going to be guys that miss time. It's inevitable. Whether it's just I a mean, their, their biggest signing, Otto Porter, is notoriously injured almost all the time. So, yeah, it's like they bought in a worse version of Malcolm Brogdon, and now they're Boston aren't banking on Brogdon the way that Toronto will be with Otto Porter. Which, which yeah. by the way, I'm looking at their roster right now. I feel like I think we've talked about this before with with Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond. When you look at their age and it surprises you, Otto Porter's still below thirty. No. He's 29 years old. Doesn't that feel wrong? Makes me question what I've done with my life because he had the hard <laughs> plays and he's a millionaire. 
<laughs> so okay, real, real, we, I feel like we should put a bow on this here in a second, but I do I do have one more question for you guys because Adam kind of started this whole discussion with the Raptors talking about how they didn't really bring in anybody from the outside other than Otto Porter, right? It was all about internal development. So if you had to pick one guy, because there's a whole bunch of dudes that you could pick on this roster that they need to improve. If you could pick one guy that you think definitely will improve and you can't pick Scotty Barnes, who do you who is it gonna be? I'm going with British born. I'm going with British born OG and Anobi. Yeah, I, I that's the I mean Scotty Barnes is the answer, of course, but you know, <laughs> if, if, if we're eliminating him. I think it's OG. I think OG, I feel like, you know, this is going into, I think, his fifth year, sixth year here. He's a little Jalen Brown light in the sense that I just feel like each year he gets better at something. Like every time, every year he comes back, he hasn't necessarily gotten to the level or to the heights that that Jalen Brown has to this point. But I do feel like every time I watch OG, I like it. And then all of a sudden next year I'm watching something. I'm like, oh, now he can handle a little bit more. Oh, now he's shooting the ball a little bit better. Now he's a little bit better defender. So at this point, I don't see a reason to think why OG wouldn't continue to to do that. But, you know, I mean, maybe there's a case for Gary Trent Jr. as well. I don't know if you want to want to make that case, Greg, but but I think OG outside of 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 Scotty. Yeah, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big believer in Gary Trent Jr. leap um, in the year two, 2022. I think OG probably the guy that I was thinking of. I've always liked him. Um, Precious is the guy that Raptors fans are going to tell you. They're also going to tell you that Pascal has another um, step to take I don't see that I think Pascal has reached his ceiling which is a, a very good player but they want to talk about him like he's a potential like first team all NBA guy and that's just not the case Pascal's good um, I just don't think he's a number one on on a championship team um, Fred Van Vliet I don't think he has another level to go to I think he's also reached kind of the pinnacle of what he can do on a court um, and also a very very good player so I think when you look at the Raptors the guy that they need that 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 they don't they didn't have last year that they need to be a lot better this year outside of Scotty Barnes is Precious. Um, so that that's the guy that I'm I'm looking at this year. I I've always liked Precious um, dating back to our conversation we had our with our guy Kari Thompson of Boston.com when he was covering uh, Memphis for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. He was big on Precious. He was like Precious is the dude. Like James, everyone talks about Wiseman, but Precious is mm-hmm. the dude. I'm crazy athletic. Who's going to do the Lord of the Rings, my precious? <laughs> I think you. <laughs> I can't do the accent. <laughs> my precious. Um, there it is. You got it. What are you talking about? My precious. There we go. Okay. That's, that was, if, if, for those watching on YouTube, that was creepy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right. With that, I will say this. I want one prediction, not a score. I don't want a winner. One lineup prediction that you think will either stay or be changed to start the game by Boston. So it could be a player. It could be maybe they run double big. Maybe they swap out one of the guys and put somebody else in to in the starting lineup to open the game. I mean, mm. I think honestly, that's that's tough because I think they actually stick with their lineup because this to me this isn't the lineup where you'd have to change anything. I think if you go up against you know, a Milwaukee, you'd have to change that starting lineup. I think for this, where we just laid out, they basically play Fred Van Vliet and four wings is is basically what they're going with. Pascal Siakam's kind of the center. And so I think you kind of, I, I think if you're going to do anything just for experiment, experimentation, maybe you swip, switch out 
White and Brogdon just to see what that looks like as we're trying to figure out what does that lineup look like without Rob Williams. Maybe that's what you go with. So this, it's not exactly a, a bold prediction, but I'll say Brogdon starts over White just to just to see what that looks like for this game. I like that. Um, this is the game. This is the team, the type of team that I've always said Robert Williams is a differentiating factor against. Um, where he he's a, on a, te- a team full of athletes like the Toronto Raptors. Robert Williams is still the best athlete, and I, I think maybe maybe with all the buzz around Kevin Kelly, maybe Kevin Kelly gets a start here. I don't know. Like I, I, we talked about crazy Joe Missoula on the on the last pod, so like. I don't know. Maybe he gets crazy with it and puts Gavin Gelly out there just to see how he does, you know, throw him into the fire. Um, but in, in terms of what I was thinking you were going with that, Adam, was like, what is the most likely storyline coming out of this game? And I was going to say the most likely storyline is that we all got a little too pumped up about uh, what Malcolm Brogdon can do as a playmaker after one game. So first things first, Kevin Gelly start in that game isn't, unthinkable because last year Ima Udoka started Hernan Gomez for a preseason game. It's true. And we were all like, oh, Hernan Gomez is going to be a key. I think we all slotted game. we all slotted Bo Cruz as like 15 minutes a game to start the season. I don't <laughs> think he ever had any rotation. <laughs> and this is what I feel like we're all doing it again with uh, with Mifandu, right? Like I feel like, or Fee as everyone's calling him now. Like I feel like that's definitely what's been the, the type of expectations going on his shoulders. Uh, I don't think we've overhyped Malcolm Brogdon as a playmaker. I don't, but I also don't look at assists as the like the only denominator or the only way of being a playmaker, right? Like assist numbers don't dictate who's a good playmaker, just the same as turnovers don't dictate who's a good ball handler. You can have a guy that's terrible at dribbling the rock. But rarely, uh, like, but registers a great assist to turnover ratio because he passes the ball two feet in front of him and a, to a catch and shoot guy every time. Like the bat score will give you so much, but I think that Brogdon will do a lot on and off ball. So I'm not worried about that. The storyline I thought he was going to say is we put far too much value into that first win and Boston get humbled in this game. I thought that was the storyline you're going. With. Yeah, I could see that happening too, man. The Raptors, as Steve Jones uh, put out on Twitter, they're just annoying. Just annoying yeah. to play, and that's why I love them. It's a good word for the Raptors. And that's that's how I felt about them going into the postseason last year. I wasn't scared, but I was going to be very annoyed with them. Nick Nurse just irks me. <laughs> I find I find him irksome. What you don't you don't like a coach having his own logo? I mean, he coached it like I've said this a hundred times on this podcast, man. He coached in my city, man. He was the first head coach I ever met. Like, uh, you know, I played for their youth teams and stuff coming up. I, I, I'm like, and I love yeah. He's not that tall, but I was shorter than you. Okay. Yeah. No, he, I didn't think he was tall when I was a kid. He's definitely shorter than me now. I'm a big boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got to end it there. We're ending it there. And I'm a big boy. <laughs> but with that, no, I'm not ending it there. But, um, you know, I, st- I still find him irksome now. <laughs> with that, I'm going to let everybody go. Cause everyone here is dying by that statement. Everyone have a great day. Hopefully the Celtics get this win this evening and we'll be back on Friday when everybody's finished laughing at me. Right then. I'm a big boy. I'm a big boy. (laughs) I'm a big boy. Oh, God. Do you want to say bye, y'all, or should I just end it? This is ended. End it. Cut the cord. Disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating. You're repenting. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the fame. 
famous Just rather be creative than stressing my wages Ageless every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors Still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do